he just kind of nodded at me and said, last day school, mommy. And that was the last time I ever saw him. The front desk told us that we couldn't visit him. He's a ward of the state. Hi, I'm Jay Ruderman, host of All About Change, a podcast showcasing individuals who leverage the hardships they faced to better the lives of others. I always had a place to escape, but this was something that was unraveling in front of 23,000 people. Listen to All About Change for a dose of hope and inspiration. The application, though, is I'm not trying to bind the conscience of my people that you must vote this way or this way in order to be obedient to the voice of God. It is to give you these things, right? And that by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and your own conscience, right, that you discern these things, you weigh these things, and as your conscience leads you to make a particular decision that doesn't violate, because the problem where it becomes sin is when you violate your conscience. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Souls to the Poles with the God Squad. Today, we're asking the God Squad to consider what are the proper lines for religious involvement in politics? Really fascinating discussion we got coming for you guys here today. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Father Tim Holita of St. Thomas More Co-Cathedral is facilitating today. So let's go ahead and turn it over to Father Tim. All right, thank you, Vanessa, and thanks for, for being here. Uh, it's a great topic. It's very interesting, and, and for some it might seem kind of like a simple yes or no sort of thing. For In my mind, at least, it's a little more complicated, as most issues are. Um, but how does politics and faith, or how do politics and the church, how do they kind of interact? Are there limits? Are there boundaries? And I think, I'm guessing, we might have, with us up here, we may have different answers uh, to those questions. So I think it'll be an interesting conversation. The first thing I'd like just is to introduce everybody. My, my name is Father Tim, as you know, I think, um, at the Co-Cathedral St. Thomas More right by FSU. And let me have everybody start. Fumi, do you want to go? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Fumi Jatara. Forgive my voice. Um, I just got in 1 a.m. from Louisville yesterday and haven't got much sleep. Uh, but yeah, I am uh, the discipleship pastor at Forks East. I'm Stephanie Posner. I'm the Education and Music Director at Temple Israel. Uh, Joseph Davis. I'm pastor at Truth Gatherers Dream Center Church. And I'm Scott Martin. I'm the pastor at Element 3 Church here in Tallahassee. Thank you for all being here. So I guess just to open it up, the first question is, how do you see, and I guess we could probably all of us talk about this for a while, um, but how do we see how faith and politics or how our church and politics should interact, or do we see some limits? For example, 
maybe if you if you don't want to get too philosophical about it, but the question, would you allow a political candidate, for example, to speak at your church? Why or why not? Um, what's the history there? What are your thoughts? What are your limits on that? And does anyone want to start? I'll start with one thing. I, I, I'll just tell one story I had. Um, back about a month or two ago, I came out of Mass, and I was walking around the parking lot, and there were flyers all over the cars at our church. And I was like, what in the world is this? And I went and looked, and it was two or three flyers for various political candidates in town. And I, I was kind of furious, infuriated. And because um, I didn't, A, I didn't want to seem by my parishioners that I was lending uh, support to any of these candidates or influencing them or anything like that. Um, and so I went to, I started collecting them in a garbage bag. And I ran into the guy, and he was one of the candidates. And he was great, actually, and he was very apologetic, and I explained to him why I, I didn't really want him doing that, and then uh, I helped him. You know, we both walked around the parking lot talking and, and picked him all up, and he was very good. And he was very apologetic and sorry about it, but he was kind of confused as to why I was not okay with it. He said, a lot of churches in this neighborhood are okay with it, so that's why he's like, I didn't know. So it was kind of an eye-opener for me. So just kind of telling that story as a segue, it, was, it kind of made me realize, oh, people have different approaches to this than perhaps that I do. Do you want to start? I can tell you why Temple Israel, or hopefully other Jewish congregants, would not um, like to have political candidates speak. For one, a, a congregation is a place of worship and a place of learning. And traditionally, a rabbi, which actually means teacher, is there to educate. Um, and like any teacher, teach people how to think, not what to think. Um, so, you know, when we we think about every week when the rabbi's on the pulpit and speaking and talking about that week's Torah portion, that week's Bible portion, yes, there is some personal perspective that goes into it, um, but our tradition has been one where people argue for centuries over one particular topic. Um, that's kind of the fun of it. Um, but it's all based on a person's perspective of what they've learned together in Torah. Um, as a pastor, our practice has been to hold civic forums, allow candidates to come in and speak, not necessarily a pulpit address, not definitely not an endorsement. We try to definitely stay away from the endorsements in our way we practice. Um, but we definitely try to still educate uh, our congregation on what's happening around us. Um, some of the fundamental beliefs or principles is that we are still citizens in the earth. Of course, kingdom citizens, and I'm probably, hopefully I can't wait to talk about that in a little bit, but of course we're kingdom citizens, but we are still to, are to be aware and engaged on what's happening around us. And so we use it more as an educational opportunity to maybe bring in some candidates and maybe kind of share their platform, but we do not use it as a way of endorsement. So for, for me, historically, I'm from Nebraska originally. Don't judge me, please. Uh, we love Tallahassee. We love Florida. It's been fantastic change for us. But to endorse a candidate somehow has the backing of, of what we represent, which is God. And in my faith tradition in Christianity, um, there's been some miring of, of both parties. I'm not saying one or the other, that certain churches will say, you have to vote for this person. You have to vote for that person. 
And that is theologically just so dangerous because candidates can change. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but <laughs> candidates sometimes say one thing and they do something else. Really, um, it's, it's new to me too. So I've never been a proponent of ever saying a particular candidate who is who I'm backing, even though I vote very, very religiously because uh, I express my own beliefs. Uh, but at the same time, we will absolutely call out something that a candidate might be doing that is sinful from the pulpit. Um, we, I've spent a lot of my life uh, combating racism. I have four adopted kids who are all of different races. And, and it's been a, a challenge, a lifelong challenge of mine of saying, this person is a child of God, even though maybe what they're doing is wrong, and we won't endorse them as a candidate from, from any sort of vocational pulpit that I, that I inhibit or I inhabit. You don't have to so, answer. Uh, the, the simple answer or the most straightforward answer to your question was, do you allow political candidates in your pulpit? Did, did I remember that correctly? Is that the question? Well, the question, the, the, it's a broader question, but that was a more specific thing if you were looking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it, yeah. to that specific question, no. Uh, we, to the extent that we understand the work of the pastor, of the preacher, uh, especially behind the pulpit, which we, is often called the sacred desk, it is to declare um, and proclaim the gospel. But even within that, we, we understand that our message is political because to say that Jesus is Lord is a political statement. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Uh, that in and of itself is a political statement. So it's not, it's not so much that we, uh, we allied politics per se because there are moral implications of political realities uh, that we must speak into. Uh, and uh, someone who's faithfully preaching through the text of the Bible, you will get to it. You know, these things that some people may say, oh, that's political. But no, I'm really just preaching the text. So this Sunday, I'm preaching Exodus 19. And we're working through, or at least that church is working through, I'm guest preaching at a different church. Our church is preaching through Romans. But in Exodus, you're going to touch on issues of abortion, of social justice, of slavery, you know, these come up in the text. So some people, oh, you're getting political. No, I'm, I'm merely preaching the text. And to the extent that there are, there are um, implications, uh, moral implications of these political realities, uh, we do talk about that. However, every, the work behind the sacred desk is a sacred duty. Um, I will never put... Uh, any person who is not biblically qualified under, you know, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 1, to behind thy sacred desk to speak to the people of God on Sunday. And even, you know, I hear the part, especially in, in um, the African-American tradition and, and the black church tradition, where there is activism, right? Um, sometimes we say we want to educate our folks, right, in terms of uh, the issues that they're dealing with. My, my reservation to that is in as much as we confuse the purpose of the corporate gathering, especially on Sunday. I think civic forums, you know, I have nothing against that. Not on Sunday. It may be a different setting, a different place. I would even do like in a fellowship hall rather than in the sanctuary. I need to make clear that this is what we're doing here is very different 
Um, and this is not the corporate worship of our gathering where our purpose is to proclaim Christ and his kingdom. So in that sense, I get it. But even when we do that on Sundays, like for the purposes of education, I think it confuses the, the, the purpose of our corporate gathering. And it would seem to make much of, uh, to the extent that it makes much of our unity around our earthly citizenship rather than our heavenly citizenship, uh, that could be problematic. Uh, so to the specific answer, no. Never would never put a political candidate, a politician, to anyone behind the sacred desk. Can I just say, if that's you on low sleep, I want to see you fully slept on the night. That was right. Well articulated as well. Yes, very well articulated. I was I was just going to speak to Fumi's point and to Joe's point as well that um, while in Jewish tradition we are. Um, very big advocators of voting um, and having a forum, like you say, on a day that is not the Sabbath in a different space where, where people can actually discuss, That's, that is one thing. Um, but there is a very fine line, I think, between humanitarian things that we all want to speak out against um, and politics. And that's where it gets so incredibly tricky because you want to speak to things that we all sitting up here can say, um, welcoming the stranger, immigration, right? Um, that's, that's a tricky line um, to speak. Um, and sometimes you have to be very, very careful at that sacred desk to not lean into one party or the other um, and keep it strictly in the education front, I think. To that point, then, I think that that's, that really is a very fair point to make that we, while I say that the gospel message is uh, political, it is not partisan, right? Um, so we never want to communicate a certain partisan ideology. So even when we talk about, take for example, the sanctity of life, right? When you talk about the sanctity of life that is clear in scripture, do you only talk about it um, in terms of abortion? Or do you talk about it also in terms of police brutality, right? In terms of our duty to, you know, single mothers? Do we talk about it in terms of the foster care system and things of that nature? So we, we need to have a, a, a broad view of these things that we do not inadvertently communicate to people a certain partisan political philosophy. So when I talk about sanctity of life and everybody's mind just goes to abortion uh, and that we're pro-life and they attach that to a particular political party, or when I talk about sanctity of life as it goes to you know womb to tomb and police brutality and our duties to single moms and things of that name, universal you know, daycare, and your mind goes to one political party. So it's, I, am, I am breaking down the idols on all sides, right? And I want to exalt Christ and show you, but I will not prescribe to you how to, I will not bind your conscience and how that works its way out in your decisions, in your decision in the ballot box, right? So good Christians uh, with, uh, good, in good conscience can vote for different 
political parties based upon the policy prescriptions that they give on how to address, for example, immigration and our duty to care for the sojourner, right? So some people may say, well, the prescription should be, you know, uh, uh, a stronger border, right? Some people may, and we need to have legal immigration. We need to effectuate that more easily. Some other folks say we need to let more people in and take care of them uh, along these lines. Those are policy prescriptions that I don't think it's a duty of the pastor to bind the conscience of the people on. However, what is true is that we have a duty in scripture to care for the sojourner. How you do that? People with good conscience can differ on the policy prescription for that. I'm just... <laughs> the founder of my faith is, is Jewish, so... Yes, sir. I, I, it's, it's interesting. Uh, my congregation has, in both, both parishes I've served at in Tallahassee, the Tallahassee just seems to be a lot more mixed. Um, and then my brothers who are like in Pensacola and other parts of Northwest Florida have a different experience there. But in my, in my parking lot during you know, election years, you'll see both parties represented on people's cars. You know? And that puts me in an interesting position to be very sensitive to that um, and to be aware of that. But as, as you brought up this sort of... Uh, Often when we talk of things like the sanctity of life, which is something that is, is very good, big in our, in our Catholic belief system, um, is that you know, we believe in from, from birth until natural death. But yes, often some of the people in my, my parish will get on me about, you know, you got to preach about this, Father. You got to preach about abortion or something. If I were, or if I even start waiting in that area, then I hear from some people that I don't want to hear politics in the church. But some of those very same people will come to me and say, well, Father, I want you to preach about this particular thing and this particular issue. So there's sort of an interesting, I don't want to say hypocrisy, but maybe that's what it is. But sometimes we can, when if it's not our ideology or it's not my belief system, I don't want to hear about it. Um, and, I, and it makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but I want them and to, to, to preach the, to, about these issues that I do support. And I find that the danger there for both congregant and, and for pastor is... To you, to the danger of falling into using your faith as a weapon or a tool to shape the world in the way you see fit or in, in using force and control and so on. And I think that's a temptation often with clergy because we have power. I mean, I'm not like huge power, not secular power, but we have not very many people get to speak to a thousand people a weekend, right? And reach a thousand people a weekend and, and that people there trust you and want you, know, to, you to guide them and so on. So there is a little bit of power there. And I think the temptation can be, you know, well, how can I use this to kind of help shape the community around me in a way that, that fits my vision and not the Lord's? At least this is how I approach it. I think for, for me, and I completely understand, that we're speaking from the same pulpit there, that it, the same temptation and, and the feedback comes to me all the time of preach on XYZ, and then once you do, the people who hear XYZ are screaming, saying, how dare you? And it's a, I think it's a unique way in which every faith tradition is battling because we all went through COVID and COVID shut down every single religious institution for a period of months or even years. And so people have this freedom of saying, I've always gone to this church or I've always gone to this synagogue or I've always gone to this whatever because my family always went here and now I've had three months to not go and to maybe try other places online. And so people are using this freedom to try out new places of worship. And so the church has become this place where people go to what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. Which is what they want to hear what they, instead of what they need to hear. And what I've found is that when you start 
not being having the tail wag the dog, um, the temptation is is then to fall in line. And then along with your point, I think that the temptation for political candidates is the same, that they're not willing to take a stand. There's this amazing book called The Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman. It's back in the 90s who wrote it. It's a phenomenal book about leadership and having this nerve to your character as a leader. And a lot of leaders will use God as this exit button of saying, well, I'm going to just quote scripture. I'm going to say God or I'm going to use God's name because it's also legitimatizes everything I'm saying before this or after because you can't question God. You can question me. You can question my, my voting record. You can question what I've done. You can question me as a pastor. But if I say God, it is that power that's very dangerous and we can wield it almost just kind of flippantly of just saying, well, God told me this, God told me that, God told me this. And there's the danger of the political world intersecting too much into the sacred world. We all like jumping for the mic. Go ahead, Joe. I was just, just going to say, I mean, the, the, my starting point with this is, is, is in the Gospels where Jesus is approached by a man who says, settle this this secular issue, right? Settle, have my brother divide, share the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, who made me your judge and arbiter? Jesus isn't going to uh, step down into that world, right? He's, he's above that in some ways. And they try to trick him in these political questions, should you pay taxes and so on. He has a response to that, but he doesn't answer the question in, in a direct way. And so for me, it's, it's to say, I think very similar to what uh, Fumi said, is to lay out, there's certain principles and we have values and beliefs as Catholics and the Catholic Church is very clear on this, that we don't endorse candidates, we don't endorse parties or ideologies, but we also should not be silenced. And just because our values come from a place of faith, or that's how we kind of came to, to the believe these sort of things, it doesn't mean that we should be excluded from the public sphere or not allowed to speak or not really allowed to have a voice, because that would be basically a, a, a secular intolerance, right? It would be a kind of value bigotry. All values have a source, philosophical, religious, or something, and government is not is informed by values and informed by us as people, and that everybody should have a voice, Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, Muslim, everyone should have, atheists should have a voice when it comes to deciding these sort of things. So our starting point is, look, I, I as a priest try my best to not show my cards when it comes to politics. I have my opinions, but they, sh- they shape and change, believe me. Um, and it changed a lot in the last 10 years, especially being a priest, right? But to try to rise above, I, I don't want to get caught in this insanity <laughs> that's going on in our society yeah. where I'm just hearing the same news from the same sources and, and just becoming a, basically a spokesperson for one party or another or a particular ideology. I want to be, be above that and be able to really examine and think and, and trust the goodness of every human being and that they've come to their conclusions on their own and in their freedom. Because if you were, any, anybody up here, were to pick a particular party and announce it from the pulpit, um, what about the other people in your congregation who have a different political perspective? We all come, hopefully, from the same religious perspective in those organizations. But how do those people feel, then, if they are they don't feel that they could come to their priest or their rabbi or their pastor to have that conversation about what's tr- what troubles them and to have those private conversations. They don't feel that the pastoral nature may be there if their, their religious leader is picking one over them. I know a lot of people say, you know, I- I'm a, a part of a reform congregation, which, you know, we've been involved in civil rights and activism for a very long time in the reform movement. I will tell you though, we 
that the reform movement is not comprised entirely of Democrats. Um, there are Republicans in the reform movement as well. Um, and some of them attend our congregation, so we have to be very conscious of how we speak and focus our, our perspective on the Torah itself. You know, we have a tradition for centuries in Judaism called the Chavruta study. And, and a Chavruta means you, you get together with somebody who you pretty much disagree with, and you study sacred text, and you argue over and over again and share your opinions. And I don't mean arguing like getting up and screaming and yelling. I mean, oh, wait, it says this, and oh, but doesn't it say this here? And having conversation and learning to respect each, each other, kind of like what we do here at God Squad, right? But the, the reason I mention that is because the, the word chavruta is the basis of that word is chet uh, vet resh, which is chaver, which means friend. So while it's somebody you disagree with, that person is still your friend. And we can't forget that. Uh, I'm sitting here listening and still thinking, and um, I'm having still many perspectives um, about the subject. I'm gonna see how I'm gonna tackle a few of them. Um, uh, one of the one of the things I don't see, I don't see the church's role in politics as problematic. I don't at all. I think the church's role in not being clear on what our call is when we're dealing with politics is what's problematic, but not our role in government or politics. Uh, the church is the embassy um, of the kingdom of God. And the church has a role, first to God, um, to continue to be that light and to be a moral compass for the world. And so I think it's absolutely important for the church to speak up and to speak up clearly. Um, I want to say that so it doesn't get muddy in between what the church's role is and still what we are to do to balance our call when we're in the pulpit, all right? I think we have to be able to balance what we're doing at certain times. The church has an obligation to God and to the world to speak on behalf of God, all right? Um, and so we know that is not partisan. We know that, all right? Because God is neither Democrat or Republican. Um, people have tried to do that, and that's been the tragedy that has occurred in the church is that we have tried to say God is Republican and God is tra or God is or Democrat, and that's the tragedy, um, if anything. And if we're not able to decipher that, then the church has a problem on its mission and its call. Now, I think some of that has filtered the church, and the church has lost its way with God on those some of those subjects. But I clearly believe that is not problematic for the church to speak up on things concerning uh, government, politics, and the moral compass um, in our world. So, um, also, we kind of segue went in, we went really quick, but also from an African-American cultural perspective, we can't forget, especially in America, what slavery did, especially for African-Americans. So, politics or government or law specifically took on a big push for African-Americans because you can't ignore civil rights movement, right? Which is led by a preacher, all right? All right, which we can consider a Moses who has the lead of people who also may feel so disenfranchised that they don't even want to participate 
in the government process, in the voting process. And so historically, culturally, uh, sometime we're looking from an African-American lens, it was necessary to bring that message to a disenfranchised people who were saying they don't listen to us anyway. We're not represented. We're not respected. So it was important when I talk about engagement, when I talk about education, to bring those forums to the church to get those people and that group of people, especially in that time I'm speaking, awakened that you have power. You count. You got to speak up. You have to vote. So there have been some things I think we can't dismiss that has happened in our world and our culture and why it was important, especially historically and still today, uh, to speak up on, on part of to disenfranchise people. Because the other thing that's happened that we cannot ignore is sometimes people do not understand what's going on. They don't have a clue. They need a trusted voice. They don't have a clue what this rule of law means or what it's going to do when they go to the voting ballot. They don't have a clue, right? So where is that morality so that we can help people uh, have the consciousness? I believe the Bible study is important. I believe those type of things. But I'm, I'm still connecting the education component with the church, and I, and I have no problems with it. I think it's knowing what God has called us to do and then being able to properly be what I call an intercessor, all right, if I can use that word, or a person who gets in the middle of things, don't stand off, but get in the middle of it and represent God. So those are my thoughts. But Pastor, <laughs> but would you, ever, would you ever tell anyone how to vote, though? Would, but you wouldn't say you must vote this way. Right. 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 And I, th I think we're all on it's kind of, and, and, and kind of building that we're, I hope I'm not being misconstrued that I'm saying that we don't preach value. I mean, the thing is, my politics is hidden, but my values are neither mysterious nor hidden. They're very clearly, you know, out there. And, and I'm happy to, on the one day I could, I could talk about my opposition to abortion and also talk about my opposition to the death penalty, right? And that confuses some of my, my congregants. So they try to convince me, well, no, it's not the, you know, it's, no, it's actually, this is what the Catholic Church teaches. We're neither Republican or Democrat. We have a consistent value of life and taking care of the poor. And, and it's an attention between freedom and the common good and, and so on. So I, I think that that's important that we, don't, that we don't hide that because I don't want to wade into politics. I think to me there's a difference between the values and the politics, the nitty-gritty, how it gets done, I think, as you kind of articulated for me earlier, like how that actually happens, how these goals are met. I, mean, I, think, I don't think there's anybody in the world that wouldn't support, for example, the idea of, of everybody having health care. Who's against that, you know? It's how we get there. Oh, some people are. Oh, yeah. Uh, some people are. I mean, are. I think they're against it, not because they don't want people to have health care, it's how they get that. It's how they, it's how it happens. They're they're, con they're concerned about other wow. issues, right? So why not start with the idea that, hey, this is a good thing. Healthcare is a good thing, and and start with that as a dialogue rather than the sort of political, I'm against this, I'm for this, or this is what my party says, or something. And starting with these sort of common values that I think most people, I, I, I don't know, like if you know someone who's, I don't think, I don't believe in healthcare. I don't know, maybe that exists, but I don't think it's definitely not the majority or common. I don't know, it'd be strange. So there, there are two things um, I want to speak into uh, from the most recent discussion. Um, 
I start from the second point with regards to the black church tradition and political activism. You're right, Pastor, that yes, given the, the history of disenfranchisement and oppression in this country, and the fact that we didn't have much by way of uh, spaces where we could be ourselves and be free, um, the church served that role. The church was more or less the community center for the black community. It was the space where we could be ourselves, where we could speak freely and speak boldly. So to that extent, yes, the church definitely uh, played a role and was a place where forums and conversations could happen, uh, where we were training folks for direct action, uh, nonviolent direct action, you know, the SELC. Um, so all of that is fair and is true, and it is our history. And I think flowing into the first part is this idea of, as I said earlier, the moral implications of political realities uh, that we have a duty to speak to as uh, men and women of God. And we cannot avoid that because it's in the text. And the Part of what was raised earlier was like there's such a, a lot, you know, uh, of noise out there and, you know, I want to be above or, or stand astride that. It is that it is true. There's a cacophony of voices from politicians, politicos, um, pundits, um, sports journalists, you know, um, social media stars, all of that from Fox, MSNBC to CNN. So our people are being shaped and invariably discipled Monday through Saturday by these things. And then they come in on Sunday. What is our job then? It is that I need to, and this is to your point about the power that pastor has, that my job, you've heard from all these voices all week, now hear from the voice of God. This is what God says. And I open the text and I proclaim what is in the text. And I think the way I avoid kind of joining that cacophony of noises is that such that I, it's not just my hobby horse that I'm preaching uh, or I'm telling the people week in, week out, that I, I don't really do topical preaching. It's what we call expository preaching, meaning preaching through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that invariably you are going to get to these issues in the text. As I said, the Exodus is chock full of that, from slavery to social justice to abortion, um, all that. It's in the text. And so you can't come at me for, oh, pastor, you're being too political. I'm merely preaching the word of God. This is what God says. Now, the application, when we go from exposition to application, that's the dicey area. You know, that's, that's where you, um, you can really get in trouble. The application, though, is I'm not trying to bind the conscience of my people that you must vote this way or this way in order to be obedient to the voice of God. It is to give you these things, right? And that by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and your own conscience, right, that you discern these things, you weigh these things, and as your conscience leads you to make a particular decision that doesn't violate, because the problem where it becomes sin is when you violate your conscience, right? But otherwise, if your conscience is clear, 
and you move forward with that clear conscience, right, and you make that decision, you vote Republican or you vote Democrat with a clear conscience and with a sense in which I am trying my best to be obedient to the principles and to the precepts of the word of God, you're a-okay with me. I'm, we're, we're good. So we have Republicans, you know, we have conservatives and we have not so conservative people in our church, right? And to the extent that I am not inadvertently preaching a political party or whatnot, I also don't want to, and this is the problem you cited earlier, I don't want to communicate that salvation equals Jesus plus this political party. That's the problem that's happened within especially evangelicalism in recent years. That is not the gospel, the gospel is the glorious truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm not meaning to preach. But that's the gospel, right? And we are saved by faith alone, through grace, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else. Not by how you vote or who you vote for. I cannot add to the gospel. And to add to the very word of God is itself anathema, a sin. I cannot add to the gospel in that sense. And so, in a way, I, I speak boldly, um, clearly, even declaratively, right, on these moral issues. Because truth be told, politicians make moral claims, right? They make moral claims. So if a politician gets up during the week and makes a moral claim, I have a, I have a prophetic duty to, especially if it's a moral claim that stands opposite to the very word of God, I have a duty under God to clarify that to the people and says, no, this is what the word of God says. So in that sense, we do get involved, but we're not being partisan. We're merely proclaiming the truth of the word of God. Thank you. <laughs> you guys ever thought about being preachers? I don't know. So it's, um, it's that time where we might take some questions, if anybody has any questions in the audience. You don't have to write them down now, but hold on, we got one right here, then, then you'll, you'll go next. Okay. Yes, sir. Let me preface it by, um, uh, Father Tim, you said you wanted to stay away from the fray of things going on below you, but there is something going on in this country that is very, very uh, scary to me and it maybe it was mentioned last time, and that is the Christian nationalist movement that's going on in this country, and which has been espoused by our governor. And my question is this, do you um, believe, or do you accept the fact, the First Amendment of the Constitution, which states that there is a distinct separation between the church and the state? And that, that goes to the idea that some of the Christian nationalists are, are pushing forward, that we should uh, change our constitution and stick only to the Bible to govern us. And what is your opinion on those? So I don't, yeah, I, do I believe in the First Amendment? Well, it's the First Amendment, whether I believe in it or not. It's what it is the law of our land. Do I, personally, yes, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't say in their separation of church and state. That's not in that amendment. But I think it, it could be implied there. It's it's at least so I speak from a Catholic perspective is that the church should not be involved in that in that. I would we would not I would not support what you just described. Does that answer your question? Okay. Oh, no, we had somebody else over here first. Uh, I, I would 
would like to hear, excuse me, I would like to hear from uh, the leaders of our people of faith, um, your thoughts about encouraging your congregants to vote. It's a fundamental right. <laughs> and in Judaism, we believe that everyone has the right to vote. And we, in fact, the Religious Action Center um, has a nationwide program now called Get Out the Vote, which is making sure people are registered and going out to vote, not telling them how to vote, but knowing that it is, it's, it's neck and, like a piece of Jewish law that you should vote. You are a citizen, you should vote. Yeah, I mean, it's a duty, I think, to vote. I think all of us have, at least, my, again, I, speaking from my perspective of, as the Catholic faith, is we have a duty to participate in the process. Same, absolutely. Um, I often say you definitely should vote because you're going to end up praying about it. <laughs> I hope we, you don't hear us saying that um, we shouldn't get involved in politics or the political process, Right. Um, we're not, at least I'm not advocating the Benedict option that we all should just go away somewhere um, in the mountains and be, um, you know, shut in monks. Uh, there is clear um, evidence within scripture of our, especially as Christians, to be involved in our community. We're not of the world, but we're still in the world, right? And then if you, even in the Old Testament, um, during the exile, Jeremiah 29, God told the people that, no, go into the city, plant vineyards, build houses, get married, right? Get involved and pray for the good, right, of the city that you're part in. And then even in the New Testament, Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, we have a duty. One, to pray. And every single Sunday, we pray for our political leaders. We pray for Joe Biden, for Ron DeSantis, for uh, Mayor Daley. We pray, you know, for these folks because the Bible actually, not, it's not an option. It's a command. Pray for your governing authorities. And then there are two duties, uh, Christian duties. So a duty of prayer and a duty of obedience. Like you're actually also supposed to obey your governing authorities as well because God, government is an institution um, from the Lord, granted by God for our good. So, you know, I am not an anarchist. Because the Bible clearly tells me that government has been, the power of the sword has been given to the government for our good, right? So please don't hear us say that don't get involved in the political process or in policy or whatever. Go ahead and do that. And, and, and even as we know that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it calls us to be salt and light. That necessarily requires you getting um, in there getting involved with people to flavor the lives of the people around you. That's what salt does, right? And there's also, there's a pre uh, preserving element of salt to preserve and hold back the evil, right? And maintain the common good. That's the role of salt. And then light is supposed to bring light into dark places. What would it look like if a whole bunch of Christians rolled up in City Hall and demanded of our political leaders that, hey, you need to take care of these Title I schools. You need to take care of single mothers. Because what informs that position is our duty in Scripture that we need to watch out for the least and the lost, right? And so in, in that way, get involved. Please do. Um, and do it with clear consciences. <laughs> I'll, 
I'll just go a little bit different version. I don't disagree. I'm just going to go a t slightly different version. Uh, I think as humans, we are a lot of different things. We're body, we're brains, we have hearts, we have all the different organs. And then there's this really confusing aspect of what is a spirit. Uh, I'm, I'm part spirit. I have a soul. And a spirit, in my reading of scripture, is that it's a uniting of people around a common idea or common purpose. So there's a spirit in this room. There's a spirit of FSU football. There's a spirit in every single religious place that happens on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day you worship. And there's a spirit of our politics. And what's unique about our country is that we invite feedback to change our political sphere. And so absolutely use your spirit of what you believe to influence and impact our whole country in profound and small ways as well, whether on a local level, a state level, or a national level. It's a, we live in a really unique country historically comparing any other country or empire in the, in the history of the world. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to say was about Christian nationalism. And uh, it says that we're supposed to be ambassadors in in the New Testament. And if we're ambassadors, you look around, well, what do ambassadors do? Ambassadors represent a country. And I'm going, well, what country am I supposed to represent? I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to represent the kingdom of heaven. Uh, another thing that I came across in the last three or four months on the internet, I spend too much time reading stuff on the internet and less time on the, in the Bible. And I wish I could flip that around. But um, I came over, uh, uh, started getting emails from a group called Truth Over Tribe. And they mean that by the tribe, they mean by the politics of the day. And that's kind of opened my eyes and made me think a lot more about, you know, my, my selections that I make when, I, uh, when I'm going to vote or looking at politicians. I think perhaps um, to be an ambassador, you can be an ambassador of your faith tradition. Um, there are political ambassadors that have been nominated and fulfill that duty, but um, on the First Amendment, you, you, you're not having a religious ambassador um, as such for the nation. So... But definitely ambassador to your faith tradition is, is for sure. We're all sitting up here as ambassadors of our faith tradition. And look how much common ground there is. The First Amendment, too, by the way, is, is a restriction on the government, not on the church. And again, like we, and I think this is where I would be careful. Like On the one hand, the government should never be forcing people to go to church and violate their conscience and so on. On the other hand, they shouldn't discriminate against the church. And that's where I think... There needs to be more of an understanding on both sides of this issue. That, For example, there was a Supreme Court case recently concerning public funding going to private schools where a state was not allowing that public funding. Like if they chose a religious school, that, that, was, that was somehow a violation. The Supreme Court, I, I believe, ruled correctly in that way that you can't just discriminate. Every, every school is teaching values. Public schools are teaching values, and those values come from somewhere. And there is no pure sphere. I know I've said this for years, and I've, I think we've even talked about this. There is no pure sphere where there's values or morals uh, derived from reason alone. There's always belief. There's something axiomatic that everyone believes, whether it's I believe in humanity, and I think humanity is good. That's not based in reason. That's based on values. So we can't you know, discriminate, so to speak. 
um, just because someone's a Catholic or a Jew or a Muslim or whatever, an atheist, um, and just say, well, your values aren't welcome here. Um, that would be the opposite of, of what I think you're afraid of. Um, I also want to speak to, and that was a great segue about being an ambassador, because I, I just feel like this, support, this point I'm going to say is very important, not just about encouraging people to, to vote, but also encouraging people to run for office. Let me speak to that. The reason why is because we also have biblical precedent that we are to be a part of changing our environment. Deborah was a judge. Joseph went into a nation with God's conscience, with God's heart, and so much so that he saved them through a famine. And then we cannot forget, <laughs> Daniel is not a preacher. Daniel is brought over from in slavery because of his intelligence, because of his ingenuity, because of his giftedness, he is put into power inside of this government, but he refuses to bow down to the idols. Perfect illustration of either running for office or being promoted into a position. So we ought to also advocate for people taking God morals, God's conscience inside of our government. And I think sometimes that gets lost in our translation of what our our moral and our role is because sometimes we've already said that this part is bad we're only to, supposed to speak and not carry out so sometimes we don't even push God's narrative that get a part of something and bring forth good change so I also want to say that as well that we're ambassadors um, on that front as well biblically any other questions maybe we have time for one more yes Curtis Richardson, Mayor Pro Tem uh, of the City of Tallahassee, and I'm not here representing the city or the city commission. I'm representing Curtis Richardson, a Christian who was born, who was raised in the uh, Baptist Church, and I'm now an AME. Uh, but it was interesting. The topic of today's session is souls to the polls, and I was interested in knowing what that meant in regards to the church being involved in the political sphere, because that's, that's just a tool that the church and now even the community is involved to get African-Americans to vote to the polls. It, it has nothing to do with what we're taught or what we're hearing in the church. So that, that was really what brought me here because I was like, well, souls to the polls, that's, that's something that churches have used simply to get people to the polls who are already registered to vote. Uh, and one thing I can tell you, I, I don't know of, of any church that I have attended. I attend Bethel AME Church here in Tallahassee, where, where it is preached to us who we should vote for or a political party. But what I can tell you is that there are issues that are important to the African-American community, education being one, health care being another. When you've got a party that won't expand health care to poor people, Pastor, that says something about that person. Uh, so those, those we, we look at what the issues are impacting our community and based on who, and we used to be Republican. African-Americans were once Republicans in this country. And some still are, of course. Of course, 
but the majority vote Democrat because we have seen them address the issues that are important to us most. And some would even question, you know, why we involve ourselves in political parties, because I'm starting to get kind of frustrated with both. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Can I say to that, thank you for, for that. Um, we actually, um, someone just did a recent study of um, Leon County, the Jewish community, and while it does lean Democratic, the other half is split between independent or non, you know, they haven't chosen a party and Republican. And I, I find that interesting because it just means that there are so many different people within our tiny little Jewish community that have different beliefs and different perspectives. So I just want everybody to vote. I don't care who you vote for, as long as you come to service, you listen to your pastor, you listen to your priest, and you listen to what your faith tradition tells you, and you vote with a good conscience. Just vote. I would um, quibble with the assertion that if someone... You know, someone doesn't support health care for the poor. There's something wrong with that person. I think that's part of the problem in as much as we make moral valuations of people's sincerely held conscience on certain issues, right? So someone, you know, from that side that says that government shouldn't be in that, that perhaps they are involved in other ways in their community that they're taking care of the poor and engaging with the least of these so I, I wouldn't make a moral evaluation there, one. Two, on the question of souls to the polls, you know, kind of what you have seen, in, and it's not just black church tradition. We've seen a lot of, you know, white evangelicals do this as well, you know, bus people to the polls, that kind of thing. I, as I stated earlier, my only issue with that is the potential to confuse the issues, right? Especially in our corporate worship and corporate gathering and the confusion or, or rather um, the potential to communicate an endorsement of a political party, right? And so I, I would encourage members to help each other, you know, get to the polls, right? Uh, I think that's the role of civil society to do that. I, I, again, this is me, this is me speaking, not like the Bible says, like Paul, you know, when he says that is Paul speaking, not Jesus. So <laughs> this is me speaking, but I, I would have an issue with my church busing our congregants to the polls to vote. Even though I encourage them to vote, right? I say help each other get to the polls, you know, just as we say, go visit people who are sick and shut in and all of that thing, help them with transportation. We should totally do that. But I, I'm just very leery and wary of what it would communicate if I have the church branded bus transporting people right. to the polls. Yeah, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I respect his difference because he's only trying to keep his moral conscience with God. So I respect his difference. Um, but I don't at all um, have a problem. And that's why I was trying to divide the line. Because I think sometime in the church, in getting clarity with God, the mission for what God tells us to do, we focus sometime on what we don't do, that we don't focus on what we do do. Um, and I think there's some things we have to say what we do do and show that we can express the light 
with clarity. And so I don't have a problem personally communicating with clarity um, that we believe in helping people vote. Um, and, and I also think if I'm going to, and this is how I think, if I'm also going to help people to get to voting, which is important, I also better be making sure that I'm helping with other aspects of care besides that. So there's other aspects. I don't want to just be a church that just only believe in voting, right? If we're one-sided, I think we have a problem. But hopefully we have other aspects of humanity and humanitarian efforts in our church that show that we care for other things as well. Now that could be problematic. So we kind of reached the end of our time. And um, I will say this, yes, I, I am all for people voting that agree with me. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't want them to vote. I hope they don't. Um, thank you all for <laughs> thank you all for being here, and uh, hope this is interesting. And yeah, take care, everybody. Thank you to all my panelists. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, Vanessa, back with you. I found that super interesting, and I hope y'all did too. I love the diversity of opinion and the complex thinking on this topic. And once again, I'm feeling so thankful to the God Squad for being willing to put their opinions out there during a time when people get punished for having, quote unquote, the wrong opinion. So these folks are brave heroes to me. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. We appreciate you listening to Souls to the Poles with the God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast. When election season rolls around, it's easy to get distracted by the candidates, the polls, and the pundits. But elections, how they're run, how they're funded, how they're covered by the media, and who votes in them, are critical to the health of American democracy. Something that you might have noticed is in some trouble right now. 2022 Midterms, What's at Stake, a series from the Democracy Group Podcast Network, will go beyond horse race politics to look at some of the deeper issues that could shape American democracy for the next two years and beyond. You'll hear from scholars and other experts from across our network of podcasts devoted to democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. Subscribe to 2022 Midterms, What's at Stake, wherever you're listening right now.